I'm Brian. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. And we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this issue, Thor returns, the Foundation issue 3, and the Phantom Eagle returns. Uh, you might have noticed at the top of the show what really wasn't <laughs> Brian that was here. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be here in this issue. Uh, he's got some family things with he and his uh, wife. They're expecting a, their third child, and they just had a couple of complications. Everything's okay, but they're hanging out at home and and just taking care of things. I know how that can be. So we yeah. wish Brian and and his wife uh, well. It's in this it's really time. just a cover up. Uh, Marvel sent us uh, complimentary Billy clubs, and Brian Brian poked his <laughs> eye out with it. <laughs> All right, so why don't we go ahead and get into our top stories of the week. And there were a couple of interesting stories uh, that I, th- I, I saw this week. Probably the one that I, I like the most is the Hulk trailer. Yeah. It was the MTV trailer. A lot of people saw it. What were your thoughts? I liked it. Um, I think uh, much more so, you know, there, there's it's it's hard not to compare it to the previous movie. To right? Not, Did not, you like the the previous movie, the first movie, or th- I thought there were some good ideas in there, but all around, no. I thought, I you know, I thought it wasn't paced all that well. I thought that things that needed to be big mm-hmm. were really shortened for the sake of giant monster poodles, which yeah, which well, was kind of cool in and of itself. But, I just you know. wasn't a big fan of the whole Nick Nolte father fight. Thing right. in the movie. But everything else I really, really liked, mm-hmm. and I liked the concept of it. And to me, that first movie always seemed to kind of track along with the Hulk animated series that was out in the um, late 90s. Mm-hmm. I forget what that was, a Saturday yeah. morning, Sunday morning thing. And so I thought it tracked along with that story really well. I like the look of the animated Hulk that they had in the first movie. How mm-hmm. does that compare to what we saw here? I, does it look like the same Hulk, or is I, it different? I think it doesn't, and I think that was a deliberate choice. The, the, the Hulk from the first movie was this like very soft kind of rounded hulk and this one they're like every muscle yeah. kind of is, is that, like extra yeah, delineated does that, look, does that look realistic especially the I, I know in the one shot they've got the muscles going across yeah. the the chest and you see these individual muscle structures the, i think the funny thing about it is that it's it's it's, it's cg right 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 it, no no they actually got lou ferrigno to yeah to pump well what, what i'm thinking is if you just look at a still of it and when you see right. it move it you can tell that it's cg but if right. you just look at a still of it it looks like a big huge like ninja turtle style oh, yeah, costume yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I, I like what I like what they're it is, doing. It is a little bit more realistic, I think. And what about the abomination? Um, see, I saw the abomination, and I was uh, and immediately I thought, like, the Hulk is fighting Swamp Thing. <laughs> a lot of other people have made that comparison too. Or I, I don't know. To me, I just got a quick look at it, so I don't know mm-hmm. exactly. You know what he's supposed to look like. I know a recent cover in uh, in one of the sneak peeks that we have up on the site. He looks like a, a galvanized, uh, vulcanized uh, tire. Right. Uh, but you know, I don't know what he's supposed to look like. So I have See, a, a tough time saying, okay, is this an accurate representation of what we have seen or what audiences have seen before, or do we just go ahead and say go with it? Yeah, I, I would say I would say go with it because the abomination is like a is a classic Hulk villain, but really the most classic Hulk villain is the Hulk. Right. Um, they just kind of every once in a while need something really big for him to fight and they throw an abomination and people, you know, people draw him differently every time and they change him up a little bit. 
um, the standard abomination is kind of like this big reptilian guy, and mm. he has like kind of he has Etrigan ears for, oh, okay. for those guys who uh, read DC stuff. Okay, cool. And and what about Ed Norton? That w- we got to see him briefly in the piece. Did they give too much of the story away? Do you think in that trailer? I don't think so. I think I think it's. I mean, they gave the whole setup, um, right? And so you think this? I mean, is this just going to be a big? You know, when you watch that trailer, they set it up, okay, here's Ed Norton as Bruce Banner who wants to get rid of the Hulk. He's been exposed to this radiation. Uh, somebody else wants to use this power for military purposes mm-hmm. to develop a weapon. And then all of a sudden, you've got – here's this abomination tearing up the streets. Right. And Ed Norton says, like, I've got to go do this. And he jumps out of the helicopter. Right. And, you know – I think they might have given – they might have shown us – the best scene in the movie, but they're not. I mean, they're notorious for doing that. They got to yeah. get people to the movie. Well, I just, I just think it's pretty kick-ass where they're just running at each other down the street and mm-hmm. things are f- flying left and right, and then they just get up to this big build-up where they're gonna just punch just, yeah, one another, punch the crap out of each other. I, I think that's gonna be an excellent fight. In, I think it's gonna be fun. Um, and it's you know the abomination is a good, it's a good first villain. Um, again, in the first one, you know. You could really have built up something with Absorbing Man, who is mm-hmm. also a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um, is he green? We, uh, we had this issue of green villains last no, week. No, that's, that's all Spider-Man villains are green. <laughs> um, Hulk villains then, by uh, Brian's uh, theory, would, would, would all be red. I see. But I think, I think the, Hulk, the Hulk has had a lot of coloring issues throughout its yeah. run. So, Okay, cool. Uh, a couple other things that were up on the site. Uh George Lucas was at Show West uh, last week talking about the Clone Wars, both the animated series movie or the animated movie and then the live action TV series that are coming out. And we got to see a, a few peaks of this before we've had them up on the website, too. Have you seen these, the trailer or, or the, I saw the, the I saw the trailer for the animated one. I have not. Last I heard about the, the live action one, it was going to be like princess leia's life between this episode and that episode has that changed yeah you know actually uh lucas went on record as saying the animated movie is going to have everyone that we saw in in the movies Mm -hmm. okay it's going to have all that but the um live action series won't feature any of the characters from the film Mm -hmm. but rather it tells the story between episodes three and four with only slight references to some of the other characters like the emperor which you know, at first, I think a lot of people would say, well, it's not Star Wars if you don't have Luke and Leia or Darth Vader or right. Yoda or all these people in, in, the, in, the, in the show. But I think back to the movie uh, Stargate SG, well, Stargate the movie, mm-hmm. which totally blew my mind. And then it was announced they were coming out with a TV series. And I right. said, oh, my God, how are they going to do it? It doesn't even have, you know, it doesn't even have uh, Kurt Russell Kurt in Russell, it. How, yeah. how the heck could this be a good, good television show? And what it's gone on for ten years before they finally oh, yeah. end the series, and it's done very and very got well. Spinoffs and right, and yeah. so I think if people think of of the television series in that same vein as the Stargate SG One, I think this could be a good series, providing Lucas and everybody don't screw it up with with Muppets. Well, well, I think I think what's funny about it is that you know you have the you have your Star Wars movies, and then you have the expanded universe. 
which is right. huge. You know, all the comic books and stuff like that. Stuff like um, that Twi'lek Jedi, who mm-hmm. actually was re- invented by somebody else, and mm-hmm. you know, Lucas liked it, so he incorporated it into the prequels and stuff right, like that. Right. I think it's funny because it's kind of like Lucas trying his hand at writing an expanded universe thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody else is doing it. Why shouldn't George Lucas? Well, do it Well, and too? of course you've got all these people doing fan films right. that are out there that have done extremely well. And so they don't norm they don't follow all of the Jedi that we've come to know or it doesn't right. follow the central character. So like completely I think, characters. you know, it's a huge universe. Yeah. And I think if people just give it a chance, I think it'll go over really, really well. Yeah, I think it could really work. Uh, final thing from our news category this week, uh, for those of you that have liked the Legion of Superheroes cartoon series, uh, sad news for for you. The final standalone episode of the show uh, airs this weekend, Saturday, whatever the Saturday is, uh, on the Kids WB. Now, that doesn't mean it's the last episode. They've got a two-parter that will run the following two weeks uh, that will close out the series. I have it on good authority that the show is no longer in production. So if you're thinking that it might move over to another uh, cartoon network or another animation network, uh, don't hold your breath because I think you'll turn blue and pass out before that happens. Yeah. Any thoughts? Did you ever watch that that show? I did. I did. I caught a few of them. Um, I thought that sometimes it would try to sort of tackle a scope that was out of its range sometimes mm-hmm. like the whole you know the second or third season is like the war with Imperiex mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. so he comes in and he starts taking over stuff but then you go back to the exact same formula of kind of villain of the week right and th- except the way they explain a legionnaire not being there is like oh he's on the front lines fighting Imperiex or whatever <laughs> it's like oh sh- shouldn't all of you be out there fighting Imperiex? Well, I do know that the first and second season are both coming out on... Or the first season's out on DVD. I think the second season is is almost ready to come out on DVD. I think I saw a solicitation for that. And I do know that this weekend, for fans of Dream Girl, mm-hmm. she will make her appearance, you know, yeah. three episodes before the end of the series. And, and one thing I really like, I, I like the style that it's done in. I think it's a really sharp, um, cool look to the characters. Um... It's certainly without, a different style. And without, I, without being the Bruce Tim right. rectangular head characters. Right. But it's almost at times they do seem almost pushed to a little bit more of the extreme where yeah. they, you know, they're not soft corners. They're hard, sharp corners on right. you know, their chins and some of their facial features and, and body parts. And, oh, yeah. And, and they're super style. They're, they're very stylized. Yeah. And, you know, on, on top of that, they have huge shoulder pads mm-hmm. and very thin arms and big gauntlets. Well, it could just be because of evolution. Maybe we I get guess, big yeah. shoulders and well, what I think is really we funny, lose our pinky. What I think, yeah, what I think <laughs> is really funny about it is that, you know, if you look at... Um, at least from what I've seen, I'm not terribly familiar with the Legion of Superheroes up until I started reading the Hero Histories. Um, oh, thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Um, Saturn Girl, right? She mm-hmm. always kind of looks like this, uh, you know, big-headed blonde. Right, Always right. kind of, like, big right. and stuff. In the, in the show... Um, she has these like pointy eyebrows. Oh yeah, it's like you can't be psychic without having like Professor X eyebrows. <laughs> like it's like oh, you you look at a guy, it's like oh, he's psychic because his eyebrows come up to a point. Well, I, I I just I don't have time to watch Saturday morning cartoons anymore. I think the last cartoons we watched were the Spectacular Spider-Man that we watched a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and um, you know that series too. We've got pretty much what Brian predicted. Every episode, we're going to have a villain of the week until mm-hmm. we have all of the villains unveiled. This weekend is the Shocker. Mm-hmm. Last weekend was the Lizard. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was uh, 
Electro, the Vulture and, and Electro. And so, you know, I think it's just going to go down the line. And providing that this show gets picked up for, for kids entertainment, uh, mm-hmm. the company that's getting everything turned over to them, if they continue this, I'm going to bet that at some point we're going to have to see the the Goblin uh, yeah. come out, oh, yeah. Green Goblin, and some of the other characters. Cause, and cause Venom it certainly has to be coming fairly soon, well, sure, too. Because Norman Osborn and Eddie Brock get introduced in the first episode. Right. Anything else up on the uh, Majorspoilers.com website that struck your fancy this week? Um, probably, but I don't remember right Okay. Now. All right. Uh, the next thing that we want to do is if we were planning on doing something a little different this week. Uh, with Brian here, it would have made it even more impactful. Uh, but we're going to take some time in the show, and we're each going to take a title that we've found this week, and we're going to review it. That way we get more reviews in per episode, and we can talk about these. Uh, we were going to let Brian go ahead and go first, but he's not here today. <laughs> So we'll save his review for uh, next week, and I can guarantee you that the review will still be fresh uh, by then because uh, the title he's going to review, I think, is is fantastic, and it ended in such a perfect way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I decided to review this week was The Foundation from Boom Studios, which we did back in episode two or three. Um, Rodrigo, you weren't a big fan of the series. I wasn't. Um, I think... Uh I think I didn't necessarily like the pacing all that much, and I thought the main character came across as whiny. It, where were my right. main concerns? I think the idea is is good. I'm, it seems like I've seen it before someplace. Yeah, but I see. This I is the thing. Place it. This is the thing. You've got a a movie. Well, uh, picture a movie with uh, uh, Gibson and uh, who who else was in Lethal Weapon? Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Okay, so you've essentially got. This buddy-buddy movie. You've mm-hmm. got Lethal Weapon. You've got 48 Hours. You've got, in fact, The X-Files with all this paranormal right. stuff that's going on. And so I think that's what's somewhat intriguing. So it's a this could be a movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me tell you what happens in issue number three. Really fascinating. We found out last time that there was going to be a terrorist plot to put poison in the water supply of New York. So. Right. This issue starts out with the hero Stephen Valentine and his new partner Calvin Thomas uh, going over this big plot. And we start to find out that the foundation is more than maybe just a dozen people working in this. Uh, we find out that they've got agents embedded in high places in government. They don't know who's reporting to who. You know, they, they have levels of, of blocking so that there's you can't point to a direct person. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly you realize, and this goes on for many, many pages, which for pacing-wise may be bad for you mm-hmm. uh, because you didn't like the pacing before because it goes on for about three or four pages just talking about the foundation and how it's set up and uh, how how these psychics work and, and all these other um, – people who are trying to predict the prophecies, how this all gets filtered down to these field agents to do their job. And you start to realize this is a big organization, Illuminati. You know, this is a right. big, creepy, scary uh, secret conspiracy. agent. Yeah, and so that part, I think, is really cool. But a lot of the issue is spent talking about the foundation and how it's kind of set up. It doesn't give any details. It gives you a kind of a broad mm-hmm. picture, which I think is good. Um they thought that the the water the uh, water supply in New York was going to be threatened, mm-hmm. so they sent a whole bunch of agents out to uh, the reservoir in the Catskills. And then Calvin starts questioning, well, just like in, I guess you've got Fox Mulder, who mm-hmm. knows all this conspiracy theory stuff. He's your Stephen Valentine. But then you have Dana Scully, who's kind of the skeptic, who's not always right. believing everything that's going on. And who is pretty new to it. Right, and who's always going to question what's going on as well. 
And Calvin starts questioning, well, how do you know this is going to work? How do you know that what these psychics are saying is true? How do you know you're not being misled? And that, that kind of kicks off something that was kind of hinted at in the last issue that just in case they were wrong about the New York water supply being poisoned, they also had field agents stationed at other major water supplies mm-hmm. that match the prophecy throughout the rest of the world. So Stephen uh, calls the, the headquarters and is talking to his boss, and she's like, well, hold on, let me just check with some other agents. And suddenly all these other agents in Louisiana, in different parts of the U.S., all of a sudden they start losing communication. Mm-hmm. And then we come back, and this is only in the last probably four or five pages of the book, we come back to the people in, in New York and suddenly they're just being open fire. Every agent that's out there is just being massacred. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's, it's a page turner. You know, who's going to live, who's going to die. Right. This is a book that I think people really should be reading uh, from Boom Studios. I'm not going to tell you who lives and who dies. Uh, although I think if you think about your buddy-buddy movies and usually what happens and also in conspiracy uh, novels... Uh, you might get an indication of what's going to come up in issue number four. But let's Mm -hmm. just say I believe that there is an organization working against the foundation uh, to make sure that this comes through. So uh, it's it's a good – it's a good series. Right, I've got, you, I've got you, the whole written con- review. You've, you've convinced me. I'll, I'll pick up. Uh, I'll pick up the next issue and read it and see if I change my mind. Yeah, about I think the it foundation. came. I think this one came out last week. And listeners, if you are not reading uh, the foundation from Boom Studios, do yourself a favor and just pick up the first three issues. If you're not sold by the first three issues, then that's great. But this is one that the pacing's just slightly slow. I still have a little issue with the art as far as um, uh, telling characters apart in right. a crowd. But otherwise, oh, very good. Very, very good. Okay. Now, you went ahead and read a brand new title from, yeah, from Marvel. Marvel Comics, uh, the uh, last, the first flight of the Phantom it's, Eagle. It's called War is Hell, colon, the first flight of the Phantom Eagle, Now, what's, what's cool about this is the Phantom Eagle is not a new character. I did a quick mm-hmm. search up on Wikipedia, and he's, been, he's a Golden Age character that Marvel is resurrecting. He was a, a, a World War I fighting ace in the 30s and 40s, uh, and I forget which company published it then. But then in the 60s, Marvel took over uh, the Phantom Eagle and told him and created him as a teenager mm-hmm. uh, who flew with other teens who enlisted in the Air Force at that time or the, the World War I uh, fighting flying fighters or whatever they were as as a youngster and so it kind of tells those tales and since it happened during the silver age i'm going to guess that there's not a lot of violence i'm sure it was all let's go get them darn germans those huns well yeah certainly not no violence that is readily right visible right now i flipped through phantom eagle number one and yeah. it's a big far cry from probably what we would have seen in the silver age i, I think I think the the direction that they're going with this um, is, it, you know, that's its preface. The the preface of the book, "War is Hell," and it's showing you the real grit of even World War One. You know, pre jet engine, yeah, combat. Um, you know, like you you open it to the first page, and it shows like people getting blasted out of the air, and there's kind of this monologue going on. You don't really hear who it, see who it is. It might just be an omniscient narrator mm-hmm. talking about. You know, most pilots don't even see the enemy. They die beforehand. Right. There's no parachutes because they don't want the uh, officers don't want the pilots leaving the plane prematurely if mm. they get scared. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's do or die. Absolutely. Right, right. Um, the the comic book was was great, and I honestly don't care 
about uh, you know fighter pilots and stuff like that it's not my thing but mm-hmm. i was like oh, i was like phantom eagle yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like a superhero i'll start <laughs> yeah, reading yeah. it and it wasn't but it was a good book um you are introduced to this character um and throughout the book is you know it's called the phantom eagle uh, you don't know if the phantom eagle is a plane you don't know if it's a guy you don't know anything if right. you're not familiar right um and actually by the end of it you still don't know um but you're introduced to this character who's real happy go lucky and he's going to go out there and fight the germans and stuff and he's enlisted um he's in england um right. and the english are now he's an american though right that's an enlisted I, in the foreign yes. service um I'll, and the the british are training the americans because the americans have jo- just joined the war okay. all right um so there is another american who's been there for a while and he and he um had been helping the british so this other american who is really shaping up to be the main character of the mm-hmm. book um is um really doesn't like americans he doesn't like you know their big guns blazing kind of attitude i guess yeah. And in comes this other guy who's all gung ho. Let's go get right. Let's go get the Hun right, right, kind of right. things. And you know, by the end of the book, or by the end of this first issue, um, his whole perception of the war has totally changed. Well, and I think that's really cool because, and I don't know if it's the first time he's going up in the air, but you know, everybody's getting ready to go out on a flight. And of course, back in the well, and probably even today, you know, a spinning prop is a dangerous, yeah, dangerous item. And here's this field commander who's reading some orders, and he gets all irate, and he starts yelling and screaming, and he's not paying attention. And he's drunk. Oh, is that that what he's he's drunk? drunk? And he turns right around and walks right into the prop of a plane while it's spinning, and they're not holding anything back in this this issue. So if you're squeamish about some graphic, uh, I don't know if this is even violence, it's just... Yeah, it's graphic. That's what it is, and so you do see the results of someone who walks into a prop, and this is the, probably the first sign for this character that, whoa, I may not be prepared for this. And then he goes up flying, and he's getting ready. and I, And I think this is kind of one of those things that, it, again, it goes back to that title, "War is Hell," where mm-hmm. here are these happy-go-lucky Americans that are like all gung ho. Let's shoot them up, bang bang. Let's clean up this fight, and we'll be done with it. And then suddenly, he gets up there, and he's like, "Ah, there's a German. Let me let me open fire on him." And he blows the guy's head off. Yeah. And he's like, wait, wait, that's that's not supposed to happen. You're, yeah, he's you're... supposed to turn around and fight yeah, me yeah. gallantly and stuff like that. And so it just really freaks him out until yeah. he, you know, he comes back and he's thrown up all over himself. He's just disgusted what's happening. And I think he starts to realize that that war is not some just big game that you right. romanticize about, but it's something quite serious. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not really into this, uh, this genre, I guess, sort of, um, fighter pilots kind of stuff. Right. Um, but they've set up some stuff. You don't know where this guy comes from. Again, he's kind of enlisted under shady means. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll want to know a little bit more about that, uh, higher American commander. Um, and you want to see, you know, what else can be done to these characters. Because it seems to me like, you know, you'll start caring for these characters and the writers are just going to run them through the grinder. Yeah. And I think they're going to come out quite more shaken than, than the way mm-hmm. that they go in. So, so if you had to give this a star rating, I'm going to give the Foundation issue number three 4.5 out of 5 stars. Mm-hmm. What do you give the Phantom Eagle number one? I'll give it a solid three. I liked it. It's not my thing, but um, it definitely has room to really expand into something great. Okay, great. So um, Phantom Eagle number one is out this week 
from Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foundation number three was out last week from Boom Studios. And I think one of the things that we want to kind of do in the Major Spoilers podcast is give you some other options besides just reading comics all the time. There's other forms of entertainment out there that have to do with superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them come in the form of audio dramas. Right. And these can be found for free on iTunes or Podcast Alley or any of the other numerous podcast aggregators out there. One I, I came across, oh, it was a while ago because I gave you guys these episodes some time ago, but it's Pendant Productions. You can find it at PendantAudio.com. And they have some based on the DC uh, Trinity, Batman, mm-hmm. Superman, Wonder Woman. Right. And so I thought this week it might be fun to kind of take a listen to these episodes uh, about for Batman Ace of Detectives mm-hmm. and kind of give that a review as something else that you might want to do while you're driving in the car, when you're done listening to this podcast and you want to listen to something else, uh, something else that, that might be of interest to you. So Batman, the Ace of Detectives, it's an ongoing monthly serial adventure podcast based on the modern incarnation of the character in the DC comics. It's written by certain Serral, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and they've got a variety of different actors voicing the roles. Now, the radio drama is kind of set up like the old-time serials with multiple chapters forming Mm -hmm. a larger story arc. Uh, Each episode runs, you'll look at it on the download, and it says like 15 or 20 minutes, but uh, a 15-minute episode is really more like a 10-minute episode with four minutes of of promo at the end. Mm -hmm. A 20-minute episode is about 15 minutes with five minutes of promo at the end. So you're listening between about 10 and... 20 minutes in length uh, for some of the more recent ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, This podcast started in 2006, and they have 26 episodes. It's monthly. It's a monthly serial that that comes out. And, well, what did you think, Rodrigo? Um, I think it's a great idea. Um, and I only listened to somewhere around, uh, to most of the episodes in the first arc. I didn't get, get around to the second and third arcs. Um, uh, but it's it's the sort of thing where uh, they a, a handful of of the actors sounded like they were reading it. The Joker was yeah. great. Yeah, that's that I was the like, one thing is of all the voice actors in the piece, the Joker by far is my favorite. With the Hugo Strange character, which is in the third arc, mm-hmm. uh, comes in a close second. But you're right, characters like Robin, yeah, and even at points Jim Gordon, it just sounds like uh, this like this this would this in. would be how one of the characters would. Uh, play a part describing arc one. Arc one. The Joker kidnaps the Riddler and his doctor as the dynamic duo race to save the two. The first arc also features Jim Gordon returning from retirement and discovering the true identity of the Cape Crusader. How very interesting that is. That is so fascinating, Rodrigo. I am fascinated by it. It is such an interesting story. I could just jump for joy, as you can tell from the inflection in my voice. And I think think the guy who plays Batman is really trying, is actually trying too hard to do like the deep, scary voice. I think for all you guys out there who want to be Batman, who want to play Batman, what you need to do is you need to find your Bruce Wayne voice and then rasp it up. And that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. You don't need because you don't need to be supernaturally weird. You know, you don't need to be the lead singer from Corn to be scary. <laughs> you can just be a darker version of yourself, and you'll be good. Well, I will say this about this first story arc: it's twelve episodes long. It, it lasted the entire year. Uh, you know, it's this first tryout for the writer and a lot of these actors. And I did listen to the first arc all the way through. 
I thought it was an interesting story, although it seemed to go in a lot of different places at once. You know, you've got a lot of sub-stories going on. And I think for a radio drama or an audio drama, you have to keep it centered on what's going on with the good guy and what's going on with the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And try not to get too distracted with all the other things going on. Now, the second story arc is actually a crossover between the other two podcasts, the Superman and the Wonder Woman uh, productions that they Mm -hmm. have going on, which is – so for Batman, it was only three episodes – it was a um, it was called Imperium, and it featured a lot of new god interaction. I skipped that one because, frankly, I didn't want to go into the um, listen to the other podcasts at the same time. Mm-hmm. The third story arc, which is still kind of ongoing, it's almost over. It's about eleven episodes so far. It kind of retells the story of Hugo Strange capturing Batman. And finding out that he's Bruce Wayne and mm-hmm. using – and this is – the the writer pulled a lot of different story plots that we've seen in other Batman titles like Venom, the use of the Venom serum on Batman to make him a, a stronger weapon, the psychological breakdown of Hugo Strange on Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that stuff, I think that works. And I think now that we're in almost year three of this story, I think the acting gets a little better. I think the uh, storytelling is a little better. But I still think it meanders a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be the biggest – I think that's my biggest complaint about about the stories. Although really from the promos that I heard um, of the Wonder Woman one, it's like, oh, man. If you you thought that the Batman characters were dry, it's like, Diana discovers a new secret. Oh, no. I have discovered a secret. Yeah. So I think overall for – you know, I give these guys great kudos for doing everything that they do. I think with a little bit more experience under their belt, I think the shows could be a little bit better. If you like the idea of audio serials, then I think the pendant one should score okay with you. Uh, but compared to other audio books or other dramas that we've heard, for example, two other ones that we might review in the future are the Red Panda Adventures and the audio book uh, Playing for Keeps. Uh, this one just needs a little bit more work. I still give Pennant Productions Batman Ace of Detectors Ace of Detectives three out of five stars, which puts it about the C average. I think it was an average podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if Brian were here this week, now would be the time that we would bring up the topic of the week. Uh, but Brian went ahead and wrote an email to us really quick, and he said, hey, here it is. Very quick and simple. Are you a Marvel or are you a, or are you a DC? Rodrigo, go. Well... I'm a Marvel. Um, from the beginning, I've always liked sort of like the more street level heroes. I mean, there's like there's like a level that is like above what Batman usually do- does and below what Superman usually does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where most of the Marvel universe falls in. Um, so that's that's kind of what I like. You know, I always liked X Men. I've always liked Spider Man. Um, so really, for me now, it's it's. Um, it's kind of back and forth. Am I angrier about what's going on in DC or am I angrier about what they're doing with <laughs> Spider-Man now? Well, and, and it's probably Spider-Man. Spider-Man, okay. Well, I'm going to have to say I'm a DC. I don't read a lot of Marvel. And if you guys head over to the Major Spoilers Forum, I posted a thread of everything that I ordered from the March previews catalog. And you can kind of see it's 99% uh, DC, uh, well, probably 98% DC, 1% Marvel, and 1% spread out through a bunch of other mm-hmm. various uh, uh, publishers. But 
We're putting a poll up on the website. You can go up there and vote. You can go over to the Major Spoilers Forum and talk about why you like Marvel or why you like DC uh, better than the other. So that's Brian's question of the week. And the other thing that that, uh, we probably want to talk about is uh, I think we've mentioned this a couple of times, especially when we're talking about Spider-Man, especially when we're talking about uh, DC's new frontier. It's this idea of retconning. And uh, Rodrigo has this great idea for maybe a segment that we'll bring out every once in a while, Mm -hmm. uh, Rodrigo's Words. So, Rodrigo, tell us, what is a retcon? A retcon is a uh, kind of a – it's it's a portmanteau, and maybe uh, maybe I'll define that word later. Uh Uh-oh. You're confusing us. Yeah. We read comics. The words retroactive continuity. And what that means is that after a character is created and established, they go back and change something about the past. Now, retcon, the word itself, actually comes from comics, even though now they apply it to, you know, stuff like... Television um, shows. Television shows, even movies Movies, that go back and change things. Um, It started out, um, according to Wikipedia, which is, of course, a definitive source for everything, (laughs) um, it started in All-Star Squadron number 18... Um, and basically what they were doing with it is that they were going back and telling stories about the origins and um, the um, the guy who was writing it uh, sort of coined the term retroactive co- continuity and really he did it as a good thing. Although nowadays, most people probably look at retcons as a bad thing. Just going back and saying, oh, well, I don't really care about that because that's a retcon. Well, let's take a look at some examples of retconning. Right. I'd mentioned DC's New Frontier, mm-hmm. which retells a Silver Age, how the Justice League got together. It does tell different stories of how these characters met. It does tell uh, maybe something different from the first world's finest meeting between Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. That would be a form of a retcon. Is that a good retcon or a bad retcon? Well, I think in, in that sense, it would be a good retcon because it, it really is a retelling. But, for example, here's... Um, there's actually uh, I'm I'm being most familiar with Marvel right let's talk about Spider-Man right and Brand New Day well that's and and people hate it um, because they're going back and saying you know here's where we want Spider-Man to be so let's change the past and make it this way and that's that's a visible retcon Mm -hmm. there's there's sort of invisible retcons like what happened with the Hulk the Hulk was originally created as uh, gray like his skin was gray. Right. And then in later publishings of the original books, they changed the tint. They changed the tint mm. of the character's mm-hmm. skin mm-hmm. and said, well, the Hulk has always been green. And then, our, you know, one of the writers was like, well, you know, I kind of like that mean but smart gray Hulk. Right. So now we're going to go back and say that, yeah, the Hulk was gray and then he turned green and now he's gray again and then he's green again. You know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, you know, there's uh, Wolverine's bone claws. Is a retcon. Okay. It used to be that, you know, he got the claws out of the adamantium, mm-hmm. but they've gone back and rewritten that. So that right there is a retcon. Well, it seems like they're always adding something onto Wolverine where it used to be 
he was this unknown character and then it kind of went back to weapon x and so here he was before this and now it's like oh well he's lived much longer than that he was in world war ii and then now world war one and it just seems to be going on that he's one of these vandal savage type characters that are around forever yeah and up until the 90s I don't. I'm not entirely sure why. I think the the like the editor in chief at Marvel probably said just had a cap on Wolverine. It was like, nope, we're not going to talk about Wolverine. Nobody's going to explore their origins. And all of a sudden, they just pull that stopper out, and you get a new Wolverine origin story every five minutes. Right. A handful of which contradict each other. I think I've read two separate accounts of how he met Mystique. Oh, really? For example, interesting. Um, and like his first meeting with Sabretooth, you know, it's like, oh well, maybe the previous one worked out. So. Retcons can certainly get out of control. What about the difference, and this may be something that will be your next homework assignment, when mm-hmm. we talk about canon, what happens when you tell a different story, when you retcon a character like the Joker mm-hmm. in The Killing Joke, which is supposed to be outside of the universe, but then all of a sudden you say, now this story is canon. And so we'll, we'll maybe talk about that uh, next time. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of Marvel... Uh, are this is going to be collected in a trade fairly soon, but we had a chance to read the first six issues of Thor. And, you know, the, the story basically is, let's kind of reboot this series. Let's try to tell it in a different way. Uh, it's not an imaginary story. The God of Thunder is back, following the events of Ragnarok, where all of the Asgardians, including Thor, died. Mm-hmm. Now... They're back in some way. And he's not a clone. He's not Clore. Right. And so we get into this idea of this man, this mysterious person uh, that we saw in Civil War turns out to be Donald Blake. And he touches the the little stick that he carries around. He taps on the ground. And suddenly it turns into Thor's hammer and he switches places with Thor. This was always this place of, well, where does Donald Blake go when Mm -hmm. Thor is around? I always thought, and again, I'm not a big Marvel reader, so I don't know everything about Thor. But my understanding was that he turned into Thor. I didn't never got this idea that they were actually switching places. And that's exactly what's happening here that J. Michael Straczynski is talking about that. Uh, David Blake or uh, Daniel Blake goes Donald Blake I'll get the name Donald right Blake. Donald Blake goes to this other dimension and Thor comes here and then Thor is in this other dimension mm-hmm. and so Donald has to convince Thor to come back to the real world that the that the earth needs him in some way and so Thor comes back and he discovers hey wait a minute I not only am I not dead but all of my fellow Asgardians are not dead mm-hmm. And so he goes on a quest, and these first six issues are really good because it's a quest for Thor to find a new home, to find his fellow Asgardians, Mm -hmm. and to really kind of find his place in this new Marvel universe following Civil Civil War War. and the Mutant Registration Act and all of these things that that took place. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, Rodrigo, for someone who, again, the extent of my Marvel reading is the ultimate universe right i love the ultimate universe i'll buy anything that has ultimate universe on it i have very little knowledge of the whole history of thor mm-hmm. but i gotta tell you i loved this first six arc issue story i thought it was really good i think i think uh thor has been a character who has never quite fit in to the rest of the marvel universe i think you know the 
uh, Donald Blake Thor thing was always kind of mishandled because when he was created, they were like, well, he's a superhero. He needs to have a secret right. identity. Right. Um, and then did a, they did away with it because it didn't feel right. And they've kind of brought that back. And they're finally putting Thor in a situation that makes sense for Thor. He's a he, he's a mythological hero. He's going on a quest. Right. He's not sitting there waiting for... Um, the bad guy Annihilus to come right. down and start fighting him he's not sitting there just guarding you know sitting on top of New York City waiting for something to happen mm-hmm. he's going out and he's finding his lost uh, traveling partners and his lost lover and right, his, right. all of his friends and he's trying to bring them back and bring them back into the safety of Asgard yeah and so this is the first thing that really kind of struck me as you know here's this character Donald Blake he's just traveling the countryside he was in New York the first time that we see him and then he's just traveling the countryside he winds up in Oklahoma and you know the townspeople seem to very, be very nice it's a very small town in Oklahoma I think I like the idea that a character that's not the runaways, a story that's being told somewhere else other than New York. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I might I might stay here a while. And then that night, there's a huge thunderstorm that's building out across the plains. And for you and I, who do live out in the plains, right. you know, we can see these thunderstorms building and coming. And there's a power behind it where you can sense, you know, something's about to happen. And then you see Thor's hammer strike the earth. And boom, there's Asgard right mm-hmm. there in the middle of Oklahoma all over the place and then you suddenly realize wow this this is going to be a pretty kick-ass series yeah i i like this idea and there's some great moments in the six issue in these six issues that we're going to talk about and i'm going to kind of jump around from some of the things that really struck me and and rodrigo please feel free to jump in but i thought one of the great moments was now we're going to have an interesting look at thor this norse god meeting with and i don't want to say country bumpkins but simpler people right and you are just completely away from not only the asgardian experience but the superhero experience yeah i mean they're not metropolitan they're not seeing spider-man fly building to building every single day Mm -hmm. you know they're not seeing superman lift you know uh, leap tall buildings they're not hearing stories of batman or wonder woman or the hulk right you know they may read these things in their newspapers but they're more concerned with are the crops going to come in? How do I feed my family? What's going on in this town that is not really, uh, you know, it's it's a small town. It's right. not doesn't have big commerce. And then all of a sudden, here's this big city just on the outskirts of town, this Asgard city that just appears out of nowhere. And the sheriff comes out and he says, hey, wait a minute. You can't put your land down here. <laughs> you know, this is somebody else's property. You can't build here. And so Thor says, okay, fine. Strikes his hammer on the ground and the whole city just rises like 20 feet above the ground and goes, I don't think this is going to be a problem anymore. Yeah. And then the farmer who owns the land shows up. He's like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like there's compensation due to me. Mm-hmm. So Thor leads him into the, the chambers where there's piles and piles of gold. And he goes, take what you need. Yep. And the farmer's like, oh, my gosh, put back up the truck and fill it up and let's go to town. And, and I just thought that this is a real interesting way of how these townspeople mm-hmm. are starting to meet with Thor and the, and the fellow Asgardians. Right. Um, Thor discovers that the other Asgardians are not dead. Right. They're merely, and I don't know how to describe this, they're contained, they're other people. Sort of. I mean, in the same way that Donald Blake and Thor are linked, um, the other Asgardian sort of souls of the gods have found their way to mortals who sort of resonate with them. Right. And so Thor 
can bring out those bring mm-hmm. out those people and or bring out his fellow Asgardians. Now, what I'm not clear on is when the Asgardians appeared, what happened to the other people? Did they that's, die? That's something that I was I was I'm concerned about. That, that's something that they really need to explore. That's something that they need to bring up um, because it's cool. If maybe the Asgardians become these people, mm-hmm. but it and and they're really not. They've always been sort of gods, right? Um, but it's not. It doesn't seem that way. It seems that the Asgardians sort of find these hosts, right? For anything else, you know, for lack of a better word, and then they come out. So I, I think they better explore this. If they neglect that aspect of it, then the book the book is going to go south as far as yeah. I'm but what I find that's that's really kind of fascinating is. You know the people don't know mm-hmm. that they're as guardians. These these souls or whatever are trapped, and they don't even know what's going on. And so they need Thor to release them. So the first, and I'm not even sure it's the first place that Thor goes, but he goes to New Orleans. It is. It is the first. The first and one you know, here's this vocal guy going, "We don't need you, superhero people here. Where were you when the floods came? Why weren't you helping us here?" And so it actually puts some impact or some some reality of the hero's role in the real world. And Tony Stark shows up. And Tony Stark is being Tony Stark post-Civil War, being a jerk, and saying, hey, look, Thor, you know, uh, no hard feelings about the cloning thing, right? Ha, 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 ha. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, you're going to have to register. And then, pow, you know, Thor's just banging the crap out of him. And they get into a bit of a fight, and it's not even a fight. I mean, Thor is just cleaning Iron Man's clock. And and essentially, Thor says, I have no use for your rules. I have no use for this. You're lucky that I'm on this other quest right now. Mm -hmm. Or... This would be finished. And Iron Man comes up with some great excuses. Well, uh, technically, you know, you are uh, not American, so perhaps your Asgard could be considered an embassy. So that would n- negate the need and, to and, be. And that, and that again, is, is good writing because it shows that Tony Stark is like, well, he's beaten, but he can't let this become an international incident. So he's like, bam, 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 comes up with a bunch right, of things. Right. And he's like, all right. You know, and clearly Stark means to get back to this. And well, and I'm sure that that's going to be a bigger issue down the road. But right mm-hmm. now, we're just telling a, you know, the hero's quest story. Right. You know, we're we're telling the, the the thousand the thousand faced hero story that mm-hmm. that um, um, what's his name? Not George Lucas, but uh, who he's based it all off of. Oh, uh, Kurosawa. No. Well, no, 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 not Kurosawa. The um, ah, gosh, now I can't even think of the. I'm sure listeners at home are shouting it. Uh, the person who wrote The Hero's Journey. If, if you shout it hard enough at your iPods, <laughs> we'll, we'll hear it. But anyway, you know, he's on this quest. He's too busy. And I like that they don't spend a lot of time in this battle. Mm-hmm. And Thor discovers his first friend. And I, again, I don't read, I don't know the Ragnarok cycle. I don't read Marvel. So I don't know who all these Asgardians are. But I do know that these are friends of Thor. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of interesting that while the Asgardians are returning to Asgard, that... Thor and Donald Blake continue to switch places. And in right. fact, you know, Donald Blake, as a doctor, gets called to Africa to help out mm-hmm. with some relief of some armies fighting. And there's a big battle, and Thor has to come and divide the nation uh, between the bad guys and what the people that they're hel- there to, to help relieve. And in the process, he finds three more of his fellow uh, gods. Right. And I just think it was, it's, it's beautiful storytelling. Yeah, and the the great thing about sort of the switching back and forth between Blake and Thor is that um, you know, in most uh, in, in a lot of these kinds of situations, and there's a handful in comics, right? Um, like Marvel's Captain Marvel, sort of being you know um, 
Marvel being off in a different universe and Rick mm-hmm. Jones, I think, uh, being in the real world and sort of. Uh, but he advises Rick, you know, through their conduit or whatever. Um, or like Firestorm, which was like a professor and then the young kid and sort of the young kid is uh, in control of the body and the professor is advising him. Mm-hmm. In this situation, the god is sort of the naive one, like the, right. the, the, the big ass guardian guy is a naive guy. And Donald Blake, who's just a mortal doctor, is the one who's sort of guiding him. Through yeah, it. And, th- and there's great dialogue between the two, even after they switch places. You can mm-hmm. hear them having this conversation and it's done really well with the lettering where here you've got the Donald Blake with very traditional font style. Right. And then you've got the, the Thor writing is what There's I'll call it. Lots of serifs. And yeah, yeah. And little squigglies. And you can tell that they're having a conversation back and forth. In fact, to the point where Donald Blake's sitting in a restaurant and other people are like, is he talking to yeah. himself? I mean, what's what's going on? Thor is, is actually looking for his lost love. That's the one that he's trying to find. Yeah. Harder than anyone harder else. Harder than anyone else. And he thinks he's found this this woman. And... You know, he thinks it's the love of his life, frees the soul, and it turns out to be Loki. Right. And I thought, oh, my gosh. You know, here's Loki that we've always seen before with these big curly horns and everything else going on. And it's always been a man, mm-hmm. this trickster. And now it's in the guise of a woman. Right. And I thought that was great. Um, it It really brings something that's slightly different. But that opened up something for me that is a problem. Why is that? The... When Thor goes to Africa, I thought to myself, oh, man, this is awesome. They're going to have an African Asgardian god. He's going to find his one of his friends in, you know, a tribal oh, yeah, guy's yeah. Mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. He The friends that he finds are a bunch of Europeans that are hanging right. out there. And I thought to myself, this is a lost opportunity. But maybe what they're going to do is, you know, you have to stick to the ethnicity and, mm-hmm. you know, the gender of it. Mm-hmm. But then when they bring Loki out and Loki's a woman, I was like, well, you know, they could have done it. They could have had somebody from Africa, somebody black, right, somebody right. Hispanic, somebody right. else. But, but this is what I like about just switching the sex gender mm-hmm. is that Loki explains, look, tells Thor straight out in my previous life, my purpose was to bring about Ragnarok, to bring about the end of end of times. Mm-hmm. And I completed that job. You know, my role as the Loki you knew before is over. So therefore, I've been rebirthed. We can, we can be friends now. Yeah, I can. I've I've become this other person, this new Loki. And now mm-hmm. it's my duty to try to find what my place is in this world now at the same time though i think you know there's this knife ready to be oh yeah to be pulled out and and, and i think in, in one of the issues you see loki having a conversation with a very dastardly type who you know you read right. the book to find out who it is um but uh yeah and, and it's it's all very well done and those are my that, that's really my only issue with the book my my only two problems with how it's going so far and this is something that can be explored is one, they had a great opportunity, which they took with Loki, but sort of lost on having, you know, sort of an, uh, somebody with a different perspective, somebody right. who's not American. Right. Um, that's one. And two, um, totally lost my train of thought. Oh, that they need to explore what happens to the other, as- to the normal people mm-hmm. who become the Asgardians. And I guess as a final thing, they introduce like 10 characters really quickly. Yeah. They need to go back and say, who's Baldur? 
Who right. is this other guy? Right. Who's Borges? And, who's I, this and I think guy? at one point, and this is at the end of uh, issue number six, Thor is basically, I don't know if he's fed up or if he's, you know, if he's just so lovesick of trying to find his true love that he basically says, I'm going to expend all of my energy at once and I'm going to free all the Asgardians worldwide mm-hmm. and I don't care what happens. And so he flies up into the upper atmosphere, twirls his hammer, and suddenly all the Asgardians return except for Odin. Right and apparently his lost lost love. Well, and we don't or know did that. She, well, yeah, she, she, she could, could be, be somewhere, somewhere else, right? And but, he comes crashing also, back to the earth. A and lot I, of the Asgard, old Asgardian enemies of Thor. I think there's like there's a shot with like this big sort of a serpentine eye, and that's um, mm. like the Ragnarok serpent or something like that. One of the big things about this book is the Ragnarok cycle is over. Right. What do the gods do now? Right. The good gods and the bad gods and the giants and whoever has made it back, what are they going to do now? They are sort of free mm-hmm. to do whatever they want. Right. And I think that's something great that the book is going to go into. And I think it's great that they all say, maybe we can make a life here in Oklahoma. Yeah. Let's go to the town meeting. We're invited to the meeting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and here, and here, you know, they write on the invitation, you know, there'll be pie or there's going to be cake. And, and they show up and they're like, oh, we were told that there was going to be, be pie or there was going to be right. cake and here. And it's all these guys, all of them uniformly are basically seven feet tall right. and clad completely in like armor Leather and, and, f- and uh, furs and stuff like that. And on one side is like all the Asgardians and on the other side is everybody in town and they're like, you know, little white townspeople. Right. And they're like, well, we need to discuss running a sewer line out to so-and-so. And I f- and again, I forget these characters' names because I don't read mm-hmm. Thor, but he's like, uh, excuse me, what's a, what's a sewer line? And they're like, well, you know, for your waste and... And they're like, mm, what do you mean? He goes, we just usually check it over the wall yeah. at the Frost Giants, and it really ticks them off. And then they're, then the mayor or whoever of the city council is like, you guys haven't been doing, oh, I guess that explains that smell we've yeah. been receiving. But there's also some very quiet moments where, and I forget if he's a mechanic or if he's the cook, uh, but he's Bill, Bill the Third, mm-hmm. Bill's Bill Jr., and, and he runs into this Asgardian female at, at night. And they start having a conversation, and she's like, well, what's your name? And, and she's like, oh, my name is blah, 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 blah. It's very romantic sounding. He goes, well, I'm, I'm kind of Bill, yeah. and people call me this. And my, my father was Bill, you know, Big Bill, and my grandfather was Bill Bill. And, you know, and, and he goes on to this. He goes, my name's really not that, that great. And she goes, oh, wait a minute now. I've known a lot of, of, of people that are – you are the third, and I've known a lot of great people who are thirds. And Bill right. is short for William, so you're actually William the third. Right. And it – I don't know. Did you get that there's going to be some romance between mortals and gods it, in it this might story? Be. Again, it's one of those things. And the, that whole issue is structured. And here's the the people from Oklahoma. Here's the Asgardians from the Oklahoma perspective. And, you know, here's uh, this guy driving down the street and his uh, car breaks down and he's trying to fix right, it. Right. And eventually he gets it fixed. And one of the Asgardians comes up. And he's carrying like two huge oh, yeah, boars. boars. Yeah. And he's like, Well, I did I thought, you know, the nearest boars were like in this other like in, in Nebraska. Texas. Yeah, or Texas, Texas. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, They are. I ran there, I killed them and now I'm bringing them back. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he's no. like, Well, let me hear let me help you and he just lifts yeah, up the lifts truck up and the truck. And fixes it and is on his way and and the kid the kid is with the father's like, Wow, Dad, that's you know, and so you you know, I think this is a special book. I, I don't know yeah. how else to describe it, but there's very special moments and there's action in it. Um the question, and, and again, we're really reviewing issues one through six, but you and I both took a look at issue number seven. Yeah. So maybe we ought to talk about that. You know, Thor has fallen back to Earth. He's lost a lot of his energy. So they're going to put him into the Odin sleep. Mm-hmm. And Odin sleep is what uh, Thor's father would do uh, whenever he was greatly injured or had to contemplate. 
and he goes into this sleep, and Donald Blake returns. And throughout this story, this is, again, another interesting story where Thor essentially confronts his dead father, mm-hmm. and his dead father's like, why didn't you return me to, to life? Well, and, and Thor's like, well, I don't know. Well, and 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 they go into and the best the, one of the things that's really great is that not only is this book uh, going through the heroic cycle, but to a certain right. extent, it's explaining to you the hero to right. somebody who's not familiar with it. Right. You know, Odin goes into every hero, every king kills his father right. in one way. You know, sometimes literally, goes, sometimes mm-hmm. figuratively. You know, he's like, I understand why you didn't bring me back. And he goes into a story of how his father died, right. and he had the opportunity, how Odin's father died, he had the opportunity to bring him back, and he didn't. Right. So he's saying, you are, you know, it's not it's not the Odin sleep anymore, it's, it's the, the Thor, Thor sleep. sleep. Yeah, and everything you becomes Thor. You are the man now. Yeah, and so I just, I again, I get I get chills running up and down my, my arms when I think about these, these seven issues. I'm giving this. What did you think of the art? We need to talk about the art really quick. The art, the art is fantastic. It's really great. Top notch. It's, all, it's it's stylistic enough to be cool and to have its own thing going, but it's not so crazy that it looks cartoony. So yeah. it's it's great. Now I do know that the first six issues are going to be collected. I believe in a hardcover very soon within the next couple of months. So if you have a chance of picking up the first six issues in the hardcover, do that. Mm-hmm. I do know that. These issues have been selling out. We get a lot of information from the uh, PR people over at Marvel, and they're telling us all the time that the first four issues have sold out, the five issues have sold out, six issues have sold out. So you might want to go check with your local comic shop and see if you can get reprints or dive into the back bin and see if you can pick up these issues. They are really good, and I think even if you're somebody like me who doesn't know a lot about Marvel – I think you're going to enjoy this series as well. I'm giving it four and a half out of five stars because I think my big complaint was, you know, I don't know who Donald Blake is. Um, The part where Thor just decides to bring everybody back at once, I thought was a bit of a cop out. I would Mm -hmm. have liked to have seen him, you know, continuous quest to find his fellow Asgardians, maybe a few at a time. But I understand now after reading issue seven, why he had to do that so we could tell the story of, mm-hmm. of Odin and, and father and a father son story. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give it 4.5 out of five. five I'm going to I'm going to give it a, a solid four, and it definitely it it can hit like the the run of this this run of the book can hit five easily. Yeah. Um. They just need to tie up a couple loose ends and then get into you know the the runaway thre- train that could be Thor. Not a superhero book really in that sense but definitely a heroic book this is yeah. a heroic journey this yeah, is Gilgamesh this is Hercules yeah. it's great yeah it's Thor and for those of you that are interested in what's going on with the Thor movie uh, Matthew Vaughn the person who did Stardust has been uh, tapped to um, to direct the Thor movie when it comes out so be looking forward to that they haven't announced a date yet but I'm going to guess uh, maybe another year or two before we see that up on the screen and I think that that's it for this episode so thank you very much for joining us today don't forget to tell your friends about the Major Spoilers podcast we love having more listeners to this show each week and please visit the website at Majorspoilers.com if you have a question a comment you can leave it up on the forum you can leave it up on one of the comments or you can email us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com be sure to get involved in the forums and the site and we will see you next time on the Major Spoilers podcast see ya Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate Whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield I just
Spider-Man's a 